Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, January the 6th, 2022. Yesterday, for some reason, I said it was 2021. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, January the 6th, 2022. It is currently 3.55 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary right here in, well, I'm coming to you from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. See, see all of those different ways which I misspoke or stumbled over my words Yes, I have a tendency to do that, and I have to begin this Bible study exercise by acknowledging once again that I misspoke, that I stumbled over my words, that I had a temporary lapse in, <laughs> in reason, that I, I was confused Yesterday during the live broadcast, and I, 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 now, and I am joking around a little bit, but I am serious. I want to apologize because whenever you turn on a microphone and you deal with God's word, you have a responsibility to ensure that everything you say is accurate and that you are correct. I just got, I, I got so confused and turned around and what we were doing yesterday that the next thing you know, I was, I was referencing King Hezekiah, but I was clearly referencing the actions of Ahaz. I was talking about Hezekiah, but in my mind, it was like, wait, Hezekiah, wait, he did. And I was actually talking about the actions of Ahaz. Now, I think there is possibly an explanation to why that happened. And if you were listening, you probably, I think you could probably figure out why I started thinking that way. Maybe you could, maybe you did not. Now, I caught it during the live broadcast. I did correct it, but I still feel bad. And I, I tossed and turned all night because I just, I hate that. I mean, you want to be as accurate as you can. And, and yes, sometimes when you turn on the microphone and you're live, look, that's that's one of the dangers of doing a live broadcast is there is no safety net. There is no stop, cut, edit. It's live on the air. So what happens is what happens. It's It makes it exciting because there is no safety net. But sometimes when you go back and listen, you're like, wait a minute, what was that? What, what happened to my voice? Wait, what was that sound in the background? And then it 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 it, it, it can really bother you as the person who puts that, you know, puts your, you know, when you put your stuff out there on the internet for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to hear, well, you, when you go back and listen to it, sometimes it's like, oh, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. So I want to apologize that yesterday, for some weird reason, I was referencing Hezekiah, but I was assigning the actions of Ahaz to him and well, that really added to the confusion. Now, there was already enough confusion because of what we were doing. So let's set this up. Are you ready? We have a lot to do. So I wanted to get the apology out of the way. And I just, and I wanted to demonstrate right at the beginning. Yes, sometimes I give the wrong year. Sometimes I may, I say, I, I misspeak all the time. So, um, but, but that's no excuse when it comes to handling God's word. So I accept responsibility. I apologize. And hopefully before this broadcast is over, I can clarify everything and maybe we can have, well, you know what? 
I don't know if we're going to have any better understanding by the time this broadcast is over, and it's because of what we are doing. So let me explain. This week, Bible study exercise, the entire week is dedicated to Micah chapter 5. And what everyone who is participating in the Bible study exercise, who's been talking about it in the Theology Central Discord group, who's been emailing me, who's been sending emails and working and doing outlines, everyone, I think, in the group has come to the conclusion that this chapter is very, very difficult, very difficult, and it, it, it puts forth, I mean, it just presents any reader with all kinds of challenges. And so we have acknowledged those difficulties, we've acknowledged those challenges, and we have done our very best communicating with one another, you know, encouraging, exhorting one another to try to understand it. And I, and I think we were, I think we were making some progress. And then I made <laughs> the decision, hey, you know what we can do tomorrow? Or what, this is what I said yesterday. You know what we can do today? We can take a little detour and we can review a sermon on Micah chapter five. Won't that be fun? Won't that be interesting? We can hear a, a different, a, a sermon on Micah chapter five and hear what their perspective is. That, that may add to our understanding of the chapter. This could be a good thing. This could be fun. This, this could be interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's what I thought. And then we started listening to the sermon and realized <laughs> that I had made a horrible, horrible mistake. Because the sermon did nothing but add confusion to the situation. Now, I'm going to try to put a positive spin on all of this. The sermon was confusing, to say the least. The sermon was very disappointing because they present one view in a very dogmatic way without seeming to even acknowledge all of the disagreements that are out there. So there was a lot of things about it that was very negative and very bad, but by Listening to it, we were immediately confronted with a different perspective that's made everyone go back and relook and reread and reexamine. So maybe, even though everything went bad, that it will be remembered as a very important turning point and allowing us to really think about the chapter even more so than we already were. And this may make it very, you know, memorable and that maybe. You know, the end of 2022, you'll be like, man, remember that, that study on Micah chapter five? Maybe you'll never forget it. And if, if that is, if that's what happens because of, of everything going wrong yesterday, then guess what? Then I'm grateful for it. And hopefully you will be as well. But here's what we're, so this is what we're doing. We've been working on Micah chapter five and we started listening to a sermon on Micah chapter five, just to kind of add to our study. Now, I have no problem hearing sermons from a different perspective, but kind of what you want when they offer a different perspective is to explain why they believe their perspective is correct, try to somehow justify it with scripture, history, context, and acknowledge that there are other perspectives as well. This sermon really did none of those things. It had one position, stated that position dogmatically, as if there is no question, this is the way it is. And I'm still completely perplexed. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Micah chapter five. And let's, let's jump in. Let's see what we can do to clarify this absolute mess. Now, if you did not hear the last part, well, you, you'll probably want to go back and listen to it, okay? You, you'll hear when I start saying, well, wait, wait a minute, Hezekiah, he refused to sign, didn't have, and, I, and I'm li literally, clearly, obviously referring to Ahaz, all right? 
So here we go. Micah chapter five. I'm going to try to make this simple. I'm going to try to simplify this and clarify this so that everyone understands. A, a number of people did email me and say, man, I am so confused now. And I apologize for anything I did to contribute to the confusion. I think most have at least been generous to say, well, you know, you may have added a little bit of confusion, but it was the sermon itself that really confused me. I'm hoping it was the sermon we were reviewing that caused the confusion. Um, but, and I'll just have to say this about the way I do sermon reviews. There, there's a positive and a negative in the way I do sermon reviews. Everyone needs to remember this. I don't listen to them before. I know I know all of the old, the longtime listeners already know this. I don't listen to the sermon prior to because that turns this into a production. Like I listen and I rehearse my responses. That, I don't like that. I like it to be in real time. I like it to be, remember the Bible study exercise has always been designed like in real time. Hey, everyone, stop what you're doing. Gather around. Let's study the Bible together in real time, working together, not just me teaching it, but working through the text so that you are a active participant. So in the sermon reviews, it's the same mindset. Hey, stop what you're doing. Let's listen to a sermon together and talk about it. Now, that's great because it's very organic. It's very real. It's fun. I have no idea what's coming. I have no idea. I don't know anything. So there's a little bit of excitement sitting here behind the microphone because I really don't know what, you know, the sermon we're listening to, what they're going to say next. But you can probably imagine the problems that can cause because you get, you get, if you could see what's going on in my brain. So I'm, I'm one part of my brain, I'm listening to the sermon. Another part of my brain, I'm trying to think and analyze what they are saying. Then there's another part of my brain thinking about what I need to, when, when do I turn on the microphone and what am I going to say? And then there's another part of the brain trying to maybe research what that pastor is saying. I may be looking things up. So like, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say. I'm trying to process what they're saying. And I'm also trying to, wait a minute, let's look this up. Wait, wait, let's look it up. Okay. I've got a, I've got a commentary here. I got a bio and I'm doing all of that is happening, you know, at the very same time, which then can present problems when you turn on the microphone and start talking because you just got to be ready to go. And you're trying to process all of that information. And even when you're talking, you're still trying to process all of the information. So it, it presents challenges, but I, I still think it's a, it's a great exercise and I'm still going to continue to doing it the way I do it, even though it can present those problems, all right? So just because new listeners have no clue. They're like, well, why didn't you just listen to it beforehand and then just grab that clip and just play that part? That's no, that's, that's a production, I want it to be like, hey, let's listen to the sermon together and talk about it in real time. So it's a completely different approach, a different philosophy. And with it, I think it's awesome, but it does present challenges. And one of those challenges occurred yesterday because we're listening to a sermon where the pastor said, hey, we're in Micah chapter five. Micah chapter five begins this way. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They that smite the judge of Israel with a rod uh, against us, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So he basically read the verse and then dogmatically made these claims that this verse is referencing King Hezekiah and that King Hezekiah 
was facing possible invasion from the Assyrians and King Hezekiah had looked to the Babylonians for assistance. He had, he had turned to the Babylonians to help him with the threat of the Assyrians. And so the Assyrians come in and a sense Hezekiah is, smi- is smash, you know, smashed against the cheek. He's, he's hit in the face in an insulting way. He is insulted. Hezekiah is insulted because of what the Assyrians attempt to do. And in the midst of that, he is given hope and the promise of the coming Messiah 700 years later being born in Bethlehem. And this was stated in a very dogmatic way. It's Hezekiah, the Assyrians are, are the ones coming in, the people need to prepare themselves, but Hezekiah is going to be hit in the face and insulted, but there's hope that the Messiah is coming. It's stated, it was stated in a very dogmatic way. Now, you, you may say, well, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, first of all, I don't know how you can just read verse one and just say, oh, that's Hezekiah. Wait, that's the Assyrians. He didn't even try to prove it. He didn't, I mean, it was really, it was really odd. It was just like, this is the way it is. And what was so confusing is because most commentaries seem to argue that's not Hezekiah. That's Zedekiah. And the threat is not the Assyrians. It's the Babylonians. And that Zedekiah, we know from scripture, well, he was, he's taken by the, by the Babylonians, basically in chains, and he has to watch his children be killed in front of him. And Judah goes into captivity for 70 years to the Babylonians. And so this promise in verse 2, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth un, unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. That, that if you put it in this context, hey, Judah, you're going to go into captivity. Zedekiah is going to be taken in chains. His family is going to be humiliated. You're all going to be humiliated. But even though you're going to be humiliated, even though you're going to be in captivity, out of Judah, Bethlehem, this little insignificant place, there's going to come the ruler. It's contrasting lowly Judah, lowly Bethlehem with powerful Babylon. They may come in. They may do these things, but God has not forgotten, forget, forgotten his promises to Judah. He's not forgotten his promises to Israel, and he's going to fulfill them. That, to me, makes a little bit more sense. But for some reason, the sermon completely ignored all of that. So here's what I want to do, just to give you some basic information to, to show you these two approaches to this text. Is this Hezekiah? A threat of the Assyrians are coming, and Hezekiah has decided to, jo- to look to the Babylonians for help. Does that fit the text? Does that even fit the history? Or this is Zedekiah, the Babylonians are coming in, and they do come in, and then he is humiliated, and uh, Judah goes into Babylonian captivity. These two approaches, not only are they radically different because they're different kings, they're, they're radically different because they're completely different. They're, they're separated by over a hundred years. So 
we have to figure out what is going on here, at least to some level. So let's go through some basic information, all right? King Hezekiah. It appears that he was born somewhere around 741, 741 BC, all right? He was the sole ruler. Now, this is very important. In other words, he ruled by himself. He wasn't co-reigning with anyone. It wasn't a co-regency. It was just Hezekiah reigning as the sole king somewhere between 716 and 687 or 686 BC. So he starts his reign around 716, 715. He ends it around 787, 786. Some uh, have uh, has him reigning 697 to 642, which then, well, well, then that 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 could well again the time frame here can become very important. All right, now they he was born in 741. Some believe that he was co-reigning in 729 with his father Ahaz. They also believe that possibly that he was co-reigning with Manasseh somewhere between 697, 687, 686 BC. All right, so somewhere between 716 and 786, that during that time period, King Hezekiah was reigning between 716 and 687, maybe going all the way down to as early as 642, depending on when you have his sole reign beginning. And when sole meaning he wasn't reigning with anybody else. There's a possibility that there were some times he, w- he was reigning with Ahaz and then he was reigning with Manasseh. And well, we could get into a discussion there. Now, in 701 BC, Hezekiah and all of Judah faced a crisis. The Assyrians, the dominant world power at the time, invaded Judah and marched against Jerusalem. Now, there, at least you have some historical precedent. See, see, the Assyrians did come against Judah. There was danger here. All right. Now, that would fit Hezekiah. All right. So, so maybe, maybe Micah chapter five, verse one, maybe it is about Hezekiah. Maybe it is about the Assyrians. I mean, there is obviously a threat. So how is, so if, if this is referring to Hezekiah, if this is referring to Hezekiah, then this is how it would, we would read it. Micah chapter five, verse one. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. All right, Judah, get prepared. Gather yourself. He hath laid siege against us. That's the Assyrians. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod. That is Hezekiah. He is going to be humiliated. All right, now does, does that... Does that fit? And according to the sermon we heard, oh wait, Hezekiah, stop trying to look to the Babylonians for help. Okay, does all of that fit the history? Well, let's go through this again. 701, almost everyone seems to be in agreement here. Hezekiah and all of Judah faced a crisis. The Assyrians, the dominant world power at the time, invaded Judah and marched against Jerusalem. The Assyrians had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and many other nations, and now they threatened Judah. In their threats against the city of Jerusalem, the Assyrians openly defied the God of Judah, liking him to the powerless gods of the nations they had conquered. You can read about all of this in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 2 Kings chapter 19 if you want the historical narrative. And if we had more time, we would go look into all of that. 
faced with the Assyrian threat. Oh, here we go. Now, now they're facing the Assyrian threat. Now, according to the sermon we were listening to yesterday, when Hezekiah sees the threat, he's like, what, what can I do? What can I do? Who can I? Oh, I'll look to the Assyrians. Or I'm, I'm sorry. Once again, I'm thinking Ahaz. I'll look to the Babylonians. No, the Assyrians are the ones coming after him. Now, this is where I get a little bit confused because wait a minute. It was Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, who looked to the Assyrians. So when I hear in a sermon that, wait a minute, Hezekiah looked to the Babylonians, I'm like, wait a minute. Was he following the same evil practice as his father? Was he doing the same, committing the same sin of looking to another nation to help them instead of trusting in God? So I, that's why as soon as I heard, wait, he's looking to another nation, I immediately started thinking Ahaz because Ahaz looked to the Assyrians to help him and when he was facing threats from Syria and Israel. So I'm like, wait a minute, this, uh, I, I, I don't know of Hezekiah trying to, do, to committing the same sin. So if you read a little bit of the history, here's what Hezekiah actually did. When he was faced with the Assyrian threat, Hezekiah sent word to the prophet Isaiah, not to the Babylonians, but to, but to Isaiah. That's 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. The Lord, through Isaiah, reassured the king that Assyria would never enter Jerusalem. Rather, the invaders would be sent home and the city of Jerusalem would be spared. So Hezekiah is given a message by God through Isaiah. Hey, you have nothing to worry about. It's not going to happen. Okay. Um, and that the city of Jerusalem would be spared. In the temple, Hezekiah prays a beautiful prayer for help, asking God to vindicate himself. And I read 2 Kings nineteen nineteen. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Second Kings 19, 19. Now that doesn't sound like Hezekiah was like, okay, we got to look to the Babylonians. Maybe the Babylonians can help us. It, it doesn't, it doesn't look like that that is what occurred, that he listens to the prophet, he listens to God and he prays to God. God, faithful, has always kept his promise to protect Jerusalem. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were, they were all the, there were, there were all the dead bodies. Second Kings 1935. The remaining Assyrians quickly broke camp, withdrew in abject defeat. So the Lord saved Hezekiah. And the people of Jerusalem, he took care of them on every side. Second Chronicles 32, 22. So how is Hezekiah smashed in the face, smacked in the face and humiliated? That it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit there. He trusts in God. He prays to God. God intervenes kills 185,000 of them in one night and they run away in abject defeat. That doesn't sound like Hezekiah was the one who was humiliated. It sounds like the king of the Assyrians was humiliated. It, it doesn't fit in any way, shape or form. Now, now at, let's make it very clear. At some point, Hezekiah does do something that Isaiah gets very upset with. He does open the treasury and he shows the Babylonians all of the things that they have. But 
we would have to put that in the time. Are you saying that he did that in order to make a deal with the Babylonians? And I don't think we have any record of that in any way, shape, or form. And we would have to put that in its proper timeline. Did that happen before the Assyrians or after the Assyrians? And, and we could do a little bit more research there. Or you can, remember, Bible study exercise, you can do some more yourself. Now, let's, let's consider King Zedekiah. Now, remember, Hezekiah, Hezekiah is reigning somewhere between 716 and 686 or, or maybe all the way down to 642, all right? So you're in the 700s, late 600s. Zedekiah reigns from 597 to 586, all right? So you're thinking 700s to the late 500s. So you have a, at least over a hundred year difference. So in other words, it can't be somehow, well, it, it, was it Hezekiah? Was it Zedekiah? Was it somehow both? No, this is separated by a hundred years. So when this prophecy is given by Micah, is it looking at something that was literally almost happening at the moment he was giving the prophecy or was it something coming? Was it something coming? A little bit about Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar II in 597 BC. This is an agreement with a Babylonian chronicle which states, so there's a, there's a, 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 a document, a Babylonian document, a, a, a Babylonian inscription, which basically speaks of this king being put into place. And guess what? He was, he was put into place by about the Babylonians. They put, they put Zedekiah in place. The kingdom was at that time a tributary to Nebuchadnezzar II. They were already under tribute. They were already having to pay tribute to Babylon. So in a sense, Zedekiah comes into power. He's put into power and already in a sense, he's already humiliated because he's really controlled by the Babylonians to start with. He already has to pay tribute to them. He doesn't really have full power. Despite the strong remonstrance of Jeremiah, uh, uh, Barak ben Neriah and other family and advisors and ignoring the example of Jehoiakim, Zedekiah revolted against Babylon and entered into an alliance with Pharaoh Hopra of Egypt. Now, no, I want to just go through. So here's Zedekiah. He's put into power by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians. They, they put him into place. So in a sense, he starts off almost in a position of humiliation. You remember the whole being sm uh, smacked in the cheek with a rod is a, is a sign of humiliation. So he starts off almost in a form of humiliation. He is warned, instead of following the examples of other kings, he decides to rebel against the Babylonians. And guess what? He forms an alliance. Remember what Hezekiah was being accused of? Well, we have, we know without doubt Zedekiah made an alliance with the Egyptians. Right, so what happens? Nebuchadnezzar responded by invading Judah, 2 Kings 25.1. Nebuchadnezzar began a siege of Jerusalem in December 589 BC. During this siege, which lasted about 30 months, Every woe befell the city, which drank the cup of God's fury to the dregs. Second Kings 25, 3, Lamentations chapter 4, verse 4, 
Lamentations chapter four, verse five, Lamentations chapter four, verse nine. So this, in other words, they suffer. Hezekiah, it's just the Assyrians are coming. There's fear, but God steps in, destroy, defeats the Assyrians and they all run away. In this particular case, Zedekiah starts in a position of humiliation, rebels, and then <laughs> they get defeated. They suffer. I mean, the siege lasts for, what, 30 months? At the end of Zedekiah's 11-year reign, Nebuchadnezzar succeeded in capturing Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem's actually captured. Zedekiah and his followers attempted to escape, making their way out of the city, but were captured on the plains of Jericho, all right? Uh, and they were taken to Riblah. There, Zedekiah saw his sons put to death. Then his own eyes were put out. And he was loaded with chains and carried captive to Babylon, where he remained a prisoner until he died. After the fall of Jerusalem, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, if I can say his name right, Nebuchadnezzar was sent to destroy the city. It was plundered and razed to the ground. Solomon's temple was destroyed. Only a small number of vine dressers and husbandmen were permitted to remain in the land. Jeremiah 52, 16. There is defeat. There is humiliation. He is, not only is he smacked in the face, he loses his eyes. His sons are killed in front of him. He's taken to Babylon in chains and he dies there a prisoner. Now that seems to fit actual humiliation. So Zedekiah, Babylonians, there's actually an allegiance made with the Egyptians. It fails. Judah is taken into captivity. That makes more sense that, wait a minute, Judah, you're, you're defeated. You're in captivity. But guess what? Even though you're in captivity, even though you've been defeated, even though you've been humiliated, the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. That makes more sense. How, why do the people under Hezekiah need the promise of the, of the Messiah when the Assyrians have just been defeated? They've been, they, they, Jerusalem is spared. Wouldn't you need this promise when Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is basically leveled? Your king is in chains with now blinded and dies in captivity? Who needs the promise? So it, it's just, I, I, I just, I'm still baffled by the sermon that we are reviewing. Just completely doesn't even bother to go into all of these things. Now, one of our, one of the listeners who's doing all of, a lot of research provided a list of all the commentaries and what they say. Most of them are, uh, Zedekiah, Zedekiah, Zedekiah. I think there was one that said uh, Hezekiah. I think there's one that said Hezekiah. And, um, but according to the listener, I haven't gone through all of those commentaries yet, but I think according to the listener uh, that, that most of the ones, the ones that do say, and there may have been more than one, um, the one that did say Hezekiah was like, they, they didn't really prove it. They didn't really try to prove it. They, it's, it's just like, it's, it's Hezekiah. And we're still just completely baffled by, like, you can just say it with no attempt to prove it or no even attempt to try to explain it. There are some who say that what's going on there is referring to what happened later on, 
um, at, at a time when the Jews revolted. And uh, we won't, we, the Maccabean revolt, uh, if, if I remember correctly, and that it refers somehow to there. Some say that, and I, I haven't even tried to figure out how this would work historically. Some argue that Micah 5.2, that the, the judge is going to be smiked, uh, you know, hit in the face, uh, as it says in, in 5.1, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek, that somehow that's referring to Jesus. I don't know how that works because in the next verse is the promise of him coming. It's like, so wait a minute, he's going to be, he's going to be smacked in the face and then he's going to come from Bethlehem. Like you have to rip it completely out of, of time. It's just completely out of order. It makes sense that this is referring to the Babylonians coming in and Zedekiah. And it even makes more sense when you go back to chapter four and you read verse 10, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shall thou go forth out of the city, and thou shall dwell in the field. Thou shall go even to Babylon. There shall thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hands of the enemies. So it even promises the Babylonian captivity is mentioned in chapter 4, verse 10. So why wouldn't that make sense that that's possibly what's being referred to in chapter 5, verse 1? So I think it's Zedekiah. I think it's the, the threat is the Babylonians. I think Zedekiah is the one who is humiliated. He, he's humiliated even in a sense from the beginning of his reign. I mean, he's, he's reigning under the pleasure of the Babylonians. He's paying tribute to them. That, all of that fits the description here, not Hezekiah. It's so confusing. So, that is what we think. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back. I hope that clarifies everything. Uh, if anybody's listening and live, if you want to tell me that's clarifying everything, that's great. If, if not, that's fine. I'm going to assume that I've now clarified everything to such a perfect way that everyone now completely understands. It seems your two basic, op- I'm going to say your two basic options are in understanding this is that it's either, I don't even think Hezekiah works. Uh, to be honest, I think it's either, it's either Zedekiah, Babylonian captivity is what's the danger here. And the promise ultimately is the coming Messiah. I don't know if this fits the Maccabo- Maccabean revolt. I think that becomes really problematic in trying to figure that out. Maybe it could get it to work. Um, I don't, I definitely don't see how this has any reference to Jesus in verse one. Jesus shows up in verse two. Um, Zedekiah just fits historically. All the facts just seem to fit. Hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And it does happen, literally carried out in a literal way. So we're going to go back to the sermon now and we're going to see where this goes. Are you ready? I know that took 35 minutes, but now hopefully, uh, yeah, I think we're going to spend an entire week looking at Micah chapter five, verse one. I think that's all we're going to cover this week, but that's okay. It's, it's just about, it's not about how fast we move. It's not even about, oh, we've got to cover everything. It's about how well we understand it. And that's what I think we just accomplished. But are you ready? Now we're going to jump back into this sermon. Um, I, there's no easy way to just ease back into this. We stopped at the seven minute mark. I've moved, moved it back to five minutes and 56 seconds. It may sound abrupt. It's like we're just going to have to walk to the edge of the pool and jump in. But if you listened yesterday, 
hopefully this will all fit back together and we can advance this and see what we can discover. Here we go. And remember these sermon reviews, the key here is not to try. I don't give the name. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. This is about just listening to other people handle the text of scripture and honestly trying to figure it out. And I, my, my frustration isn't really his conclusion. My frustration is more like, why wouldn't you just come to the pulpit and tell everyone, hey guys, this is a very complicated text. And here's a lot of different opinions. And here are the different opinions. And here's why I think this is the correct one. But he, it just makes a dogmatic assertion. This is the way it is. And well, we could, we could do a whole podcast episode and about why some preachers preach this way, but we won't do that right now. Here we go. Back to the sermon. In the midst of their dire situation, the northern kingdom has collapsed. Assyria is knocking on their door. Things are troubled in the land. Micah brings hope to them in verse 2. He speaks of the coming Messiah, and he says, but you... Now, this is where it's just so confusing. He brings hope to the situation. Wait. I would think the hope to the situation is when God strikes down 185,000 of the Assyrians and the Assyrians run back and retreat. Wouldn't that be the hope? No, no, the hope is, so, so hey guys, I'm going to give you some hope. I know right now the Assyrians are, are, are a danger and I'm going to kill 185,000 of them and they're never going to take Jerusalem and they're all going to go back home. But let me, let me let, let you know something. 700 years from now, the Messiah is going to come. Woohoo! That is hope. Why do you even need? It's like, I'm going to give you hope in the midst of your victory. Now, Judah, right? Judah in Babylonian captivity would need some hope. We've been captured. Our king has lost his sight. His sons have been killed. He's in chains. We need hope. Well, the hope is Judah, Bethlehem the Messiah will come. Now, I know you could say, but that's that's no hope for them. That's like 500 years, almost 600 years down the road for them. I understand that, but at least it makes some kind of sense because it gives them the assurance that you're in captivity, but coming from Judah in Bethlehem will come the Messiah. In other words, we're still, we're gonna, whenever this happens, it, it's an assurance to them that they're going to survive the captivity, that Judah is not going to be completely wiped out. The other one doesn't make any sense because the under Hezekiah, the Assyrians are defeated. So why do they need the, it, it only makes sense in the Babylonian captivity. I, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm willing to change my mind at any moment, but I'm going to be somewhat dogmatic about that until I see something different, all right? Until I see something different. I just I just don't understand the Hezekiah thing. I just, I just, I don't even know why he's gone there, but okay. So yeah, I do agree it's a message of hope. We, we do have an agreement there. All right, let's continue. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and this is how God always loves to do things, take the weak things, the little things, and use them for his purposes in the earth. He never needs 51%. He prefers a small number of men who love him to accomplish his purposes in the earth. And again, the weak, the little, it fits that when you're in Babylonian captivity, you are weak. 
You are little. You feel there's no hope. But wait a minute. And Bethlehem is coming the ruler? That, that is, that fits the whole analogy. Hey, Hezekiah, hey, I know I just defeated everyone. I know I killed 185,000 and I know the Assyrians run away, but let me give you some, let me give you some assurance. Assurance of what? He, he defeated the Assyrians. The Assyrians are defeated. It, I, I'm so, con- you see why I get so confused by this? And again, I still don't know why he blamed Hezekiah for trying to make an alliance with the Babylonians when it was Zedekiah who literally made, tried to make an alliance with the Egyptians. I, I mean, you're literally accusing Hezekiah of doing something wrong. But isn't he the godly king? And his father Ahaz was the evil king who tried to make an alliance with the Assyrians? He doesn't bring them to an arena full of people. He brings them to a stable like his son Jesus, with a handful of people realizing what's going on. The magnitude of what's going on is known by so few. He doesn't do it with the grandeur of the world to accomplish his purpose in the earth. So here he picks Bethlehem. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who he's talking about. We know that for a fact because Matthew in his gospel quotes this very verse. Turn with me there to Matthew chapter 2. The gospel of Matthew chapter 2. And let's read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because there's another king who's shown up. That always means trouble. There's a fight for authority. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. What prophet would that be? Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen. John also spoke of this in his gospel. Turn to John chapter 7, and let's look at verse 37. The gospel of John chapter 7. Well, we're over here in the New Testament. Verses 37 through 42. Look what the Scriptures say. It says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's awesome. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then look what it says in verse 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? They didn't know. He was born in Bethlehem. 
So when we're back here in chapter 5, verse 2 of Micah, you have to understand that Micah has introduced eschatological matters, things off in the future of the coming Christ. Okay, now, I'm still baffled how he, what he did with verse 1. I still don't even understand what he did with verse 1. And please note, he, he made no attempt to justify it, to explain it, anything. It's just like he reads verse 1 and like, okay, that's Hezekiah. The Assyrians were coming. He tried to make an alliance with the Babylonians and then God offers them hope. And it's just like, he doesn't even, he, I think he did say that the Assyrians did not, were not successful, but he, I, he, I don't think he even explained that 186,000 of the Assyrians are killed. They run away in, in abject defeat. He just says, he, that that Hezekiah was was insulted or that he was he was you know basically embarrassed and it's it's like it he doesn't explain anything now everything he's saying about verse two great a uh, great I just still don't understand verse one what he did with verse one verse two yes it's a prophecy of Jesus yes there are issues pertaining to eschatology right the study of the end times not only does it reference Jesus first coming there could be some argument here. Does it not possibly also reference the second coming? We won't get into that now. We'll see where he's going to go with this because, well, we're already at 45 minutes and we haven't made it very far, but let's continue. And his ministry in the earth and the impact it would have upon the world. Verse 3 says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Okay, now he's going to get to verse three. Now, I am so interested in what's getting ready to happen. I'm also extremely nervous. Now, I, I just want to point something out. Therefore, will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth have brought forth? Um. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 10, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. So it's just interesting the same language is picked back up here in chapter 5, verse 3. Maybe that's something to take note of. Maybe it's not. I'm just... I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm going to try to be very, I'm going to be very methodical here because I'm very worried about what's, I don't know what's coming. After what he's done with verse one, I am scared to death with what's coming in verse three. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to try to just, whatever thoughts are coming out, I'm just going to put them forth. Remember, I review these in real time. I I don't know what's coming, but I'm, I'm nervous about what happened in verse one. So, so verse three, let me read Micah five, three. Therefore, will he give them up until the time that she, which travaileth, have brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Now, there's a lot there to figure out. Therefore, will he, who is the he that's going to give them, who is the them up, until the time that she, which travaileth, who is the she that travaileth, who is the remnant of the brethren, will return unto the children of Israel. There's a lot of things to identify in verse 3. All kinds of things. Now, what I'm assuming what's what's getting ready to happen, if we go with his method of preaching like he did in verse 1, he's not going to try to explain how he came up with the answer. I think he's just going to dogmatically assert an answer. 
and we'll have to determine if we think we agree or disagree with it. Here we go. Who are those that he, God, will give up? Okay. He identified the he as God. God is going to give someone up. It is the believing covenanting community, the true Jews, his people. This giving up refers to their current trouble into the exile and after. Okay, now wait a minute. This is referring to God giving the Jews up, the covenant people into exile to Babylonian captivity? Are you saying when the northern kingdom went and to was taken by the Assyrians? Like, which which one are you referring to? Right? Because if you're going to jump to the Babylonian captivity, well, why did why was verse one not about the Babylonian captivity? It was about conflict with the Assyrians. Verse two, Jesus's promise, and verse three, we now jump to the Babylonian captivity. Like, okay, I mean, I've got questions here. All right, I've got questions. Here we go. Until Jesus was birthed and his kingdom commenced in the earth. This matter of the birth of Jesus is seen over and over again. Okay, now wait a minute. Okay, so, so what he is saying, that God will give them up, the Jews, when they go into exile, I'm a guess that is referring to the, the Babylonian exile, right? And they're going to be there until she which travaileth hath brought forth, okay? That's going to be, Jesus is going to be born. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So when Jesus is born, then the remnant will return to the children of Israel. I'm just trying to work this out. So Jesus is born. When Jesus was born, who returned to Israel? What remnant returned when Jesus was born? I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly what this is referencing. Let's see what else he has to say about verse 3. In Scripture, Jesus himself speaks of this as he is about to be killed and his kingdom commence in the earth. Turn with me again to the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. John chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. It says, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. The world will be happy, he's going to be killed, but they're going to be sad because he was killed. But now look what he says in verse 21. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Amen? Okay. I'm trying to, okay, wait a minute. I'm trying to figure out what, what that cross reference. Okay. So let's back up. Let's, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. All right. That, 
is that is that a, is that an actual cross reference that he's giving? Is it just using similar is are these two actually related? So we're going to have to go find that cross reference. Before we do anything else, let's read Micah 5:3 and a number of translations just to see if we can offer some kind of clarification here, all right? Here we go. All right. Micah 5:3, a number of English translations. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers returns to join the Israelites. All right, so Israel's going to be abandoned until the one who is in labor bears a son. Let's say that's Jesus. And then the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Now, this when we get into eschatology, there's a lot we have to just ask ourselves. Now, wait a minute. Okay, so Jesus comes along. Was there a restoration uh, of the brothers returning to join Israel when Jesus was born? Or is this, like, what? What? what is this actually referring to in the New Living Translation. New Living Translation. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. So the people in Israel are going to be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. Are you saying that no one returned from exile until Jesus was born? Because I'm pretty sure that after the conclusion of the Babylonian captivity, Judah returns to the land, right? And they rebuild the temple, correct? So so when Jesus is born, they're under Roman control, right? They're under Roman control. And then what happens? See, Jesus' earthly ministry in, in the in early part of 30 AD and then 70 AD, Israel is wiped off the face of the earth. (laughs) The temple is destroyed and they're gone until 1948. I believe 1948, 1940s, right? It's a number. Sometimes I get numbers wrong. So just in case I'm saying it incorrectly, 1940 something. So are you saying that, okay, Jesus is born. Boom. Everyone's restored to the land. Now, now, let's think this through. Is it possible? I'm just going to throw this from a, from a, a an eschatology. Now, there's all kinds of different views from eschatology. So, is it possible, right, that we could be referring to this when G- Jesus is born? Israel is still going to remain, in a sense, under their enemies. I mean, they're still harassed by their enemies, right? They're still in in constant threat and danger. But there's going to come a time that the one that is born, who's to be ruler of Israel, when he takes the throne in Israel, if we believe, let's say you believe in a literal millennial reign, when he returns, the enemies are destroyed, Christ sits upon the throne, and Israel is saved and brought back into the land, and then they reap all of the promises that were given to them in the Old Testament. I don't, how do you make that all work in the first coming? Now, the way he's making it work is, okay, this is referring to Jesus, a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is born. He begins a spiritual kingdom. And then everyone who is saved is a part of that spiritual kingdom. So in a sense, they are returned to the land. They, they're, they are, uh, they return to join the Israelites and the spiritual kingdom that this happens basically in the church. This would be 
I, I cannot dogmatically say that this is where this person is going, but it sounds like a possible amillennial view. All right. Again, he's not going to possibly, he's not going to lay out all the different views here. He's not. This, this is just, I can't stand this, this kind of preaching. Give the people sitting in the pew all the possibilities. Well, what about this? What about this? What about, because if you don't give them those possibilities, they're going to stumble across those possibilities when they read and study on their own. Then they're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. The church is to equip people so they're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine because they're tossed to and fro in every church service. You give them all of the different views and you struggle with it. All right. Oh, okay. So, all right. Let, let's just see that John reference, that John reference. That was John 16 something. I, I'm going to back it up. I'm going to back it up here. It's 11. See, that's at 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Let's go back. All right. Let, let's see if we can find this reference. I'm going to be sad because he was killed. But I'm what he says in verse 21. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But Okay, let's stop right here. I think he's in John 16. I'm going to mark Micah 5. I'm just curious, like, where is this cross-reference coming from? John 16. All right, John chapter 16, verse 20. So, now, a couple of things we're looking for. We're going to look for anything in this passage where it says, as it was written, or as the prophet said, we're going to, because we're going to see, is this a true cross reference? In other words, are you saying this is a direct reference to Micah 5, 3? We're going to, so we're going to see, is this a direct reference? Is this a paraphrase of Micah 5, 3? Why are you connecting Micah 5, 3 with John chapter 16, verse 20 and following? So here we go. All right. I'm going to go back to verse 19. I'm going to go back to verse uh, 17 for context. John 16, 17. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he saith unto us? A little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. And because I go to the father, then said, then said, therefore, they said, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now, Jesus knew that they were uh, desirous to ask him and said unto them, do you inquire among yourselves of what I said a little while? and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. All right, they're, they're completely confused because he says like, you're not going to see me, then you're going to see me. What is he referring to? Clearly he's referring to something after his birth, right? I think everyone can agree. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. This seems to be referring to the fact that, hey, you're going to weep and lament because Jesus is going to be crucified, died, and buried. The world's going to rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy because he's going to be resurrected, right? Does that seem, or is this referring to the fact that he's going to basically die at some point, go back to the father? In other words, Jesus is going to be done away with as far as the world is concerned, but there will come a time that he will return and then there, there will be joy. I, I'm just throwing out a, a, a number of possibilities. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her house, her hour, her house, her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born un, into the world. And you know, therefore, 
You, you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Now, he's just likened, he's, all he's doing is using an illustration. Like, you know, like a woman, she's in great pain, but then finally that pain turns into joy. You're going to go through a, a, a prolonged period of time of pain, but then it will turn into joy. Now, again, is it referring to, hey, I'm going to be crucified, died, buried, you're going to be in pain, but I'm going to be resurrected and you will see me. Or I'm going to die, bury, be buried, raise, raise on the third day, but then ascend to the right hand of the Father. And then at some point I will retor- return and there will be joy. Like, like that's, Jesus is just using the illustration of someone having a, I don't know how this has anything to do with Micah. How does this have anything to do with Micah? I, I am completely perplexed here. I know we're at an hour. Just stay with me. We have to see if we can bring this to a, a good stopping point. As soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Amen. It was the Old Testament covenanting, believing community that brought forth Christ in the earth. They looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. We look back. Understand? It's important to understand. They were looking forward to it. Look at this in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Okay, I'm just going to stop right here. I... He's just going, he's just picking random verses in the New Testament. He's not doing anything to explain Micah 5 3. He's not doing anything to explain Micah 5 3. There's a million questions in Micah 5 3. Why is he just running to the New Testament and just grabbing verses? <laughs> That's called random cross-referencing. It's not a tr- it's not a true cross-reference. In other words, you're reference you're referencing something in the New Testament that's quoting what you're studying in the Old Testament. He's just grabbing verses from the New Testament and somehow that's supposed to explain Micah 5 3. I, I don't understand what in the world. Like he's not. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. This, oh man, this is not exegesis. This is, I don't even know what this is. This is, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's all going to make sense, but guess what? You're going to have to wait till next time on the same Bat channel. I know that's an old reference from the old Batman television show. Same Bat time, same Bat channel. And you'll find out if Batman is going to die or he's going to be, he's going to find a way to get himself out of this mess. Well, we're, we're going to find out if we can get ourselves out of this. It's like we've been captured, we've been tied up, and we're slowly being tortured. Can we escape? I don't know if we can escape this because this, this, I know, is that, is that even a good illustration? I don't, hey, if I can just grab random, if you can just grab random verses from the New Testament, I can just grab random illustrations from old television shows, right? It can't, I, I, no, I can't. Okay, you, you don't like that idea. I, I'm just baffled here. So we're at the 12-minute mark. We'll have to back it up just a little bit. This is what we're going to do. We're going to stop. I'll give you a chance to take a break. Or, take a break. I'll give you a chance. Yeah, catch a break. Take a break. Give you a chance to take a break. And then we'll come right back in and see if we can advance this a little bit more, all right? I know you can say, well, you're already live on the air. Just stay live on the air. No, I like to break these up because whenever whenever they go, listen, it's, this one is already an hour and three minutes. 
I guarantee you, by the time I get home, I'm going to get an email going, would you stop doing podcasts that are over an hour long? It's ridiculous to go that long. I got other things to do. I don't have that much time to listen. So I stopped listening way before you got to the end. And unless you make them shorter, I'm not going to be able to listen to your podcast. So I'm already going to get that email. So, but um, there you have it. There you have it. I, I'm, I'm, I just, I don't get what in the world is going on here. He's not... I don't even understand. Yeah, I'm looking at other things that offer cross-references, right? Here, here, are the, here are the typical cross-references that would be offered. Isaiah 10, Hosea 11, Amos 5, Micah 4, uh, Micah 4.10, Micah 5.7, Micah 5.8. Now, that, that see, those kinds of cross-references make some kind of sense. These are just like, hey, Hey, Jesus one time talked about a woman uh, giving birth. Hey, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's like, that's not how you do cross-references. Hey, it uses similar language. That's what, oh man, this is so, 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 so frustrating. But that, that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out Micah. We're going to figure this out one way or the other. All right. So let's stop right there. About a five minute break. We'll be back on the air. Call your friends. Call your enemies. Call everyone because we're going to finish this up today. We are going to finish this up one way or the other. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, Nobody said anything in the live chat. I'm just going to assume it's because you have been so blown away by how much clarity I have brought to this subject that you're just standing there and sitting there in stunned silence. That, that's, that's what I'm going to tell myself. All right, we'll stop right there. We'll be back on the air just about five minutes. Thanks for listening. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We'll be back on the air shortly. God bless.